Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, July 22nd. Frank Stample joined by Chris Towers. Lots of baseball to talk about. I have some buy or sell, would you rather, and much more. Chris, it's been a while. You're back. And wearing a swagalicious hat. What kind of hat is that? Yeah, I'm 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 going with the with the real Frank Stample vibe. Like, hey, yo, I'm wearing a hat here. What's going on? Is that what I sound uh, like? That's that's what you sound like. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is of course the Miami Marlins, uh, Miami Sugar Canes alternate, and uh, I would like everyone to know that the Marlins should wear this uh, look all the time. That's a gigantic improvement. Um, and yeah. My friend went to Miami and got me one. I have one friend. I like that. I thought you were going to say you have one more of those hats, and I was going to say, well, I, I no, know. I, I have one more than I did. <laughs> yeah, well, if you had an extra, I was about to say, all right, well, you know, no, we don't sorry. we don't live too far away, Chris. You, if they're you hard. To, it up. They're hard to come by. You know, it's fun. Funny you uh, you, you kind of when, when you were doing your rendition of me, you were kind of sound like an Italian American while you were talking about it. And fun fact. A couple of years ago, I did 23andMe, one of those like geneology kits, whatever. Mm-hmm. And my whole life, I thought I was very Italian. Turns out, zero Italian, Chris. Zero percent Italian. Zero I, I was percent. more going for like the stereotypical Brooklyn. Sure. Uh, yeah. Like, hey, I'm walking here, <laughs> but it's like, hey, I'm wearing a fitted hat here. <laughs> well, that's you my know, story kind of about life and, and where I've been. Let's talk about baseball. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. All right, Chris, did you settle on an oh my goodness gracious player? Because if you haven't, I'll kind of just fill the space and then you yeah, can. Yeah, I was going to do Brad Keller, who's yeah. had three good starts in a row and he's throwing his slider a bunch more, but I, I still feel like for the most part, he's bad Keller. Uh, you know, it's like, it's nice that he has 22 strikeouts over his last three starts. He's gone pitched into the seventh inning. Congratulations. Maybe there's something there. Uh, but. There's a long track record here, here of him being pretty mediocre. So I'm going to go with Marcus Stroman, who just continued his excellent season, 259 ERA. He went eight shutout innings with seven strikeouts, one hit allowed against the Reds uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, he's been you know, not quite as great of late, but overall this season, he really has been. Uh, exceptional, having the best season of his career so far. And, uh, you know, Marcus Stroman, good outing. No, yeah, it was a fantastic outing for Marcus Stroman. And I was checking out his game log. Yeah, I would say this is his best start of the year. Eight shutout to go into Cincinnati, which is not an easy place to pitch, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, no Nick Castellanos, more on him a little in a little bit. Kind of worried about Nick Castellanos. But yeah, great start here bit. from... Marcus Stroman, uh, his previous four starts before this one, he had a 5.00 ERA on the season, even with that. And after this start, he's got a 2.58 ERA. And this was going to be one of my would-you-rather scenarios later on, Chris. But if you had the choice between Marcus Stroman or Lance McCullers rest of season, who would you go with? I think I would go with Marcus Stroman. I'm not 100% sure on that one. I would have to take a closer look, but top of the dome, I think I like what Stroman is doing a little more than what McCullers is doing. And I think the biggest reason is, yeah, McCullers is a better strikeout pitcher. Um, The control is still bad and the 
you know, the underlying peripherals are good, but not great. I think in his case, they're probably better than Stroman's, but uh, I have a little more faith in Stroman one holding up down the stretch and, um, you know, two continuing to provide a consistent presence. Yeah, I'm with you. I was going to say Marcus Stroman as well. Lance McCullers started against Cleveland on Wednesday, five innings, four runs, eight strikeouts, 15 swinging strikes on 100 pitches, seven starts since coming off the IL for Lance McCullers, including this start. He's got a 3.15 ERA, a whole bunch of strikeouts, a whole bunch of walks as well. So for those reasons, uh, Marcus Stroman gets a ton of ground balls, has that durability, uh, pitched 184 and a third innings back in 2019. So I do trust him a little bit more. It's super close, though. I have both of these guys ranked inside of my top 35 starting pitchers rest of season. Let's keep it rolling here with the New York Mets. Oh, my goodness gracious for me. I've talked about him all season long, and I've just got to keep going with it at this point because I think something is actually happening at this point. And I just said at this point way too many times. Dominic Smith went two for four with a grand slam on Wednesday. And in the month of July... He is batting 305 with five homers, an OPS of 1,000. His average exit velocity is 93 miles per hour. He's got a 34% line drive rate, a 39% fly ball rate, and he's 65% rostered. So this is a lot closer to the player I was expecting coming into the season. The, the player who, both in 2019 and 2020, looked like he was breaking out and an ascending player in Dominic Smith. So... Chris, how excited are you about what he's doing in July? And would you rather Dominic Smith or Joey Votto, who Scott and I spoke quite a bit about yesterday? I think I would rather have Votto, but I think it's pretty close. You know, Smith for a lot of the season has had better underlying numbers than the uh, surface level numbers would make you think. 345 X Woba before the season, 314 Woba heading into tonight. I would think that Woba is a little higher now. But it's not like he's been amazing in the underlying numbers. So that's where, you know, is this a hot streak? Is this him starting to find some of the form that he had last season? My guess is it's more of a hot streak than it is um, him taking that leap again to 2020 levels just because I was skeptical of 2020 coming in. And maybe that's, uh, you know, my own confirmation bias playing in. But the fact that he was not able to back it up. The fact that while the surface level numbers in 2019 were quite good, the underlying numbers were pretty mediocre. I think just you put it all together and and I have a little more faith in Joey Votto being real. I do think Joey Votto has a higher floor. I think at this stage in their careers, Dominic Smith might have more upside. Might. Again, Votto's looked good, especially since coming back from the IL. So I think it's very close. Uh, I'm going to stick with Dominic Smith here. They're both rostered in under 70% of leagues, which I think they're available just in too many leagues. So I, I would yeah. you know, try and grab both if you just have slumping players on your team or if you just lost Alex Kirilov, which is something that we'll talk about in just a little bit as well. Wanted to give a shout out to Harrison Bader. I almost made him my, oh my goodness gracious player. Had three hits on Wednesday with a run and an RBI. 15 games since he returned from the IL. He's batting just over 350, two homers, two steals, Having a really solid season, Harrison Bader. Strikeout rate way down. Gives you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. He's only 14% rostered. So if you play in a Roto Categories League, five outfielders, I think Bader should be rostered in those leagues. Before we get to the news and notes, the NBA playoffs have wrapped up, and that means it's NBA draft season. CBS Sports HQ is your home For next Thursday night's event, we'll have pick-by-pick coverage, including grades and expert analysis for both rounds. How to watch HQ, you can watch on the CBS Sports app on your phone. It even pops out so you can have it play while you scroll through Twitter. You can watch using the CBS Sports app on your connected TV, and you can watch on your computer via our NBA Draft Tracker, which will be easily available on the CBSSports.com homepage and it's all free and featuring our good friends Gary Parrish, Matt Norlander, Avery Johnson, Bill Ryder and Rip Hamilton. So don't forget NBA draft coverage tips off at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS Sports HQ next Thursday. Not today when you're listening or watching this. NBA draft. NBA draft really just kind of like snuck up as soon as the season ends. They're kind of jumping right in there. So my my sense of the NBA calendar is all thrown off. I like I didn't even think about how weird it was that the NBA finals ended on July 20th. 
Yeah. I it's mean, like didn't or 21st. It just didn't cross my mind. Yeah. Everything got thrown off last year because of the COVID season. They were inside the yeah. bubble and now like just everything's moving back and they're trying to speed up so that they can eventually get back to their normal schedule, I guess, starting in October or November, whenever the NBA season starts. Plus, yeah. the Knicks finally weren't bad this year, so I haven't really been paying attention to draft coverage, so... It's a good time, I guess. Uh, News and notes mentioned it. Alex Kirloff will finally have surgery to repair a torn ligament in his right wrist, ending his season. His rehab requires eight weeks, and he should be fine for the start of next year. If the Twins were actually competing, there's a chance he would have returned later on this year if you know they were playing into the postseason, but that is not the case this season for the Minnesota Twins. And Chris, the real question is, would he have had the surgery? If they were competing, because that is a more probably not interesting question when you start to get into does that make them more likely to trade Nelson Cruz? Does that make them more likely to trade Jose Barrios? Does that make them more likely to trade? You know, I think Josh Donaldson will probably be a tougher one to trade if they wanted to. But, you know, did that play a factor in the decision making? That's a question we can't really answer. But I think there were a lot of positives to take from Karloff's you know, abbreviated rookie season. The the underlying the the top level numbers, two fifty one average, seven twenty two OPS, that's fine. You know, you, you certainly expect more than that. But he was really, really good at the underlying stuff. The the strikeout rate right around league average, you're you're happy to see that because he was well above average in average exit velocity hard hit rate, barrel rate, expected stats, all, all of the above really painted him as a potential difference maker. And the fact that he was doing that while playing through this wrist injury is extremely promising. Um, so yeah, I, I he's going to be a, a very popular breakout candidate for good reason heading into 2022. Yeah, I'm going to be excited to draft Alex Kirloff again next season. Someone asked me on Twitter today, if I think he'll be drafted inside the top 125 picks, it was kind of hard for me to calibrate that this far out, but I said, probably not. I think he'll probably go outside of the top 125, but I did just want to point out here, this is a tweet from Aaron Gleeman, who covers the Minnesota Twins for The Athletic, and Mm -hmm. there was a clear distinction between what Kirloff did before he suffered this wrist injury and after. Uh, So before it, 317 expected batting average, 281 XBA after that. His average exit velocity before, 96.5 miles per hour after, 89.7. So it clearly affected him. And even with that, the underlying numbers, very good for Alex Kirloff. From one wrist injury to another, and this one's kind of scary. Nick Castellanos has a micro fracture in his wrist. He said he feels about 50%, which is a terrible diagnosis. Like. How do you- this is weird because like microfracture is not like microfracture is a term for like a type of surgery. I don't really remember hearing it as like a type of injury. I know the type of surgery it is requires some like it's something like they create tiny little fractures in the bone and it causes some kind of healing process to happen. And it's a really tough surgery to come back from. I don't know what it means for an actual injury, but. I don't know if you have a fractured wrist and you feel 50% right now. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that's going to be something that a few days of rest can, can fix. Right. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but (laughs) if you're, if you feel 50%, like, yeah, again, like a couple of days are not going to heal your micro fractured wrist. So I like, if someone's not paying attention to this situation as close as they should, I don't know. Are you trying to just, flip Nick Cassianos for another top 10 or 12 outfielder if that's possible? No, I, I don't think so because one, everybody else has access to this information too. And I think the people who haven't had him on their team are probably not going to be any more optimistic about his chances. And, you know, I think one thing that we've seen at least a few times this season in, in high profile situations, most notably Fernando Tatis is, that there can be value in being more optimistic about injuries than the consensus. You know, it'll, it'll burn you quite a lot, but you know, on the occasions where it does work out, it can be a a very valuable approach. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, (laughs) Thanks for reminding me that because 
I was I was pretty scared. Many people were scared about Fernando Tatis, but just letting you know, I mean, this can go one of two ways for Castellanos. He comes back, he's fine, turns out similar situation to Fernando Tatis, or this can wind up being very, very bad for him. So just keep that in mind, rest of season, for Nick Castellanos. Jack Flaherty will throw one more bullpen session before facing live hitters. He's been on the IL with that oblique injury since early May, so... It's been a very long time for Jack Flaherty. Mookie Betts missed his fourth straight game with that hip injury. Jose Ramirez sat out, sat out a second straight with elbow soreness. Terry Francona said on Tuesday that he's going to give J-Ram some more days off because of this, but it's already been two in a row. Alex Cora said that Chris Sale is scheduled to make his third rehab start at AA Portland on Sunday. And, and that could be it. Yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah, that, he's traveling with the team right now. For to to work out, and then he'll make his next start on Sunday, and it does sound like that might just be the last one. You haven't which, been on in a while to react to his rehab starts, and yesterday was another one, and it was pretty electric. Awesome. Three and two thirds, I believe it was six strikeouts. Uh, did not allow a hit in that start. How high should we boost Chris Sale up the rankings? I'm kind of eyeballing it right now. I don't want to be too optimistic, but. I think somewhere around Zach Gallen, Shane McClanahan, Sean Manaya, that would be right around SP45. Does that sound right? Uh, so the last update I did, which would have been last Wednesday, I had him 46, and that was before his two official uh, rehab outings. He had only made the one at the alternate site before this. Um, All right, so you're bumping him probably way so up. I, yeah, I had him you know, that high already. I think... Probably top 40, yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah, I don't see any real read. Like, I would rather have Chris Sale than Shane McClanahan. <laughs> I mean. Because, like, Shane McClanahan, we like him a lot. Come but, on, Chris. Come on. I mean, it's Shane McClanahan you know, we're talking about We're here. still waiting for him to actually, you know, turn into, like, an actually good pitcher. There's a lot of things to like about him, but but it's, you know, it's not like he's gotten better and better as the season has gone on. Chris Sale. 22. Chris Last start, 22 swinging strides for, for Shane McClanahan, I mean, look, Chris. I'm not making a case against Shane McClanahan as much as I'm making a case for Chris Sale, and I don't really feel like I have to defend that. A, a healthy Chris Sale yeah. uh, has been one of the better pitchers in baseball for the last decade, so I could see him being similar to Shohei Otani or Freddie Peralta the rest of the way. Definitely possible. If he's healthy, for sure. Um Let's see it. I want to see Chris Sale in a major league game. Obviously, he's looked great in the minors thus far. Yeah. The Mets have not made a decision on whether or not to activate Carlos Carrasco this weekend. His latest rehab we spoke about yesterday was not very good. I think they would be wise to give him at least one more start. Steven Strasburg tossed a 27-pitch bullpen session on Wednesday, the days of our lives, Steven Strasburg. Kyle Schwarber was seen jogging in the outfield on Wednesday. He's been on the IL since early July with a severe hamstring injury. Josh Rojas dislocated his left pinky on a slide. It's currently unknown if he will travel with the team on their upcoming road trip. Very quietly having a very good season, Josh Rojas. I was comparing him versus Trent Grisham earlier, and they're, they're kind of similar, and they were drafted way, way, way far apart. So a uh, nice season there for Josh Rojas. I hope he's all right. Luke Voigt has resumed baseball activities. He went on the IL on Friday with a bone bruise in his knee. Alec Manoa is targeting a Monday return that would line him up for two starts against the Red Sox and the Royals. So one great matchup, one not so great. Pour one out for the man, the Yerminator, your mean Mercedes, apparently retired on Instagram, saying something to the effect that, quote, it's over. This sucks, yeah. man, because he was one of the best stories in April, one of the best hitters in April, and you know it, it took him forever to get to the major leagues and to see. Yeah, it, I just honestly, I just like hope this. he's okay. Like, I don't know yeah. what's going on, but the the fact that this is so sudden, you know, I just you know, I hope everything's okay with him, and I hope he's you know at, at peace with the decision if that's what he decides to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Michael Fulmer will begin a rehab assignment on Thursday. Somebody asked me on Twitter who the better stash is between Michael Fulmer and Nick Anderson. What do you think, Chris? Uh, Anderson's the better pitcher, but Fulmer's more likely to be a closer. That so. probably makes sense. Nick Anderson also on a better team, so 
There yeah. will be more save opportunities, but he'll probably see less of a share of those save opportunities. Yeah. Though like I could see Fulmer just getting like eighty percent of the Cub, the White Tigers <laughs> saves uh, uh, for the rest of the season once he's back. Gregory Soto has pitched very well recently, though I will point that mm-hmm. out. He picked up another save on. Uh, Wednesday. I do lean with Nick Anderson myself. Nick Senzel is expected to play both center field and shortstop when he likely begins a rehab uh, assignment next week. He's 31% rostered for those who are in deeper category leagues. I think he can provide some speed when he's back. Uh, Anthony Santander went to the COVID IL. JP Fireisen went to the IL with right shoulder discomfort. Some quick prospect updates. Josiah Gray, who we saw make his major league debut on Tuesday, will start again on Sunday against the Rockies. He is 39% rostered. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on Josiah Gray? I believe it was 15 swinging strikes on 77 pitches in his debut. It's pretty good. Yeah, I I, I think like the, the Dodgers do have a need right now. So, you know, 39% rostered probably feels a little bit low, but... It's also the Dodgers, so you never have any guarantee that he's going to pitch six innings in any given start. So, um, you know, certainly not a must-add, but someone who can who can be added. Would you rather in deeper leagues? Would you rather have Josiah Gray or David Price? <sighs> How deep has Price gone in his most recent starts? That's that's my question. Sorry, I don't have that one. I don't top, remember the innings, the but I saw yesterday he got up to sixty-six pitches and said that he's going to push further in his next start. So maybe he gets up to like 75, 80 pitches in his next start. I think I'd probably go price. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, Vidal Brujan for Tampa Bay was optioned back to AAA. He was just two for 26 with eight strikeouts to zero walks with the Rays. He's still 49% rostered. Chris, would you drop Vidal Brujan or would you hold him in category leagues in particular? If, If you picked him up in a points league, you could drop him obviously. Yeah, I, I. it's kind of the answer to a lot of questions this season, but I just don't feel like I have the the roster flexibility to be stashing guys who aren't in the majors right now, given given how many injuries there are. Yeah, even in a 15-team roto, drop him there? That, yeah, I think you can probably stash him there, but anything okay. shallower than that is going to be pretty tough. All right, you already know the deal. Our buddies... Express, they are back as a sponsor. Express Confidence, Express You, Express is all new and all about you with a fresh mix of casual, versatile, and super comfortable styles. And we've talked a bunch about their different styles over the past week or so, but maybe you just need something to wear for the summer. Heading out to the park, a cookout, a baseball game, whatever it is, head on over to Express. They offer four kinds of shorts with their chinos, performance, drawstring, and denim. Specifically for the drawstring shorts, they have the elastic waistband for all-day comfort, and I cannot recommend their polo shirts enough. I've worn them a few times here on this very podcast. I have a few striped ones. I have a floral print one, uh, but They have all different kinds of styles. They do have solid colors as well. Uh, But again, floral print, stripes. I encourage everyone to go check out the website for all of their summer deals in stores. And of course, at express.com, express confidence, express you. Buy or sell. Let's start with this one. Dylan Cease up against the Twins on Wednesday. Five innings, seven hits, three runs, five strikeouts. Did have 19 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. However... Since the start of June, the last 10 starts for Dylan Cease, he's got a 5.46 ERA. Chris, buy or sell Dylan Cease. That's it. Push, you know, is that a correct answer? You have to choose. I don't think I do. Um, Like, I don't buy, I I never bought Dylan Cease as like a top 30 starting pitcher. I, I think... Gosh, I think the highest I had him was in like the 35, 36 range. So, you know, I don't know if that that changes things. Like, I, yeah, I don't buy him as an ace. I never have. But, you know, like the control has still been pretty good since the, you know, the start of June, what we're talking about. You know, a lot of strikeouts. ERA is ugly, but it's not like he's giving up a lot of home runs. I, I don't know. I think he's fine. I think he's frustrating. I think he's going to have bouts of inconsistency, and this is going to be the one of the defining traits of him as a pitcher. But yeah, I, I think he's 
a perfectly useful fantasy option. I wouldn't be dropping him. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not dropping him. I, I just, I wonder if, like, there's two different routes you can go. I I guess it's not a good time to sell him, obviously, because this past 10-start stretch uh, hasn't been great for him. But I would be looking to buy if someone is concerned about what we've seen the past sure. month and a half for Dylan Cease. Um, I don't have the numbers included here yet with today's start, but the last nine starts heading into today, almost 12K per nine. The walks per yeah. nine are below three. He's got a 3.68 XFIP during that span and a 13% swinging strike rate. Those numbers are still very, very strong for yeah, Dylan. 19 Cease. swinging strikes today on 92 pitches. Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for him is that he's just, he's got really mediocre command. And, you know, I think the, um, the absence of sticky stuff might be exacerbating that issue a bit. And, and that's the kind of thing that can make you or make a pitcher, I guess not me, um, or you, but can make a major league pitcher a little less consistent, a little less reliable. Is just that that command. I will point out too the schedule that he's had during this ten start stretch. He has faced the Twins three times in his last five starts, so obviously they've wow. seen him a ton. And he's also faced the Houston Astros twice during that ten start stretch. So that's pretty tough. Yeah, it's been pretty tough here for Dylan Cease. Trade deadline is approaching in real baseball. It's also approaching in your. Fantasy baseball leagues. So Dylan C's, I think now is a good time to pounce and try and acquire him. How about Austin Meadows? Is it a good time to acquire him? I'm not so sure. He went two for five with two RBI on Wednesday, but it, it's been a really weird season for him. Yeah. He had a great May, 258 batting average. That doesn't sound great, but nine homers, 976 OPS. And I remember there was a stretch where it felt like he was hitting a homer every other day. And yeah. May was a great month for him, no doubt about it. 40 games since then, he's batting 242. He only has four home runs, 52% fly ball rate, which I've talked about all season long. I loved Meadows coming into the year, and I will admit I feel underwhelmed by what he's given me to this point. It's just too many fly balls. I, I just I don't know why he's just selling out for power now. I, yeah. That was never really the player he was before. Chris, buy or sell, Austin Meadows is not a top 25 outfield the rest of the season. My my initial ex- instinct is to say not, but who would be, I guess, is kind of my answer. Like, I'm looking at my rankings, and I, I had him 24th in, in my most recent run, but, you know, Joey Gallo was below him. I can move Joey Gallo up for sure. Um, I had Brian Reynolds too low. I can move Brian Reynolds ahead of him. It's kind of hard to find someone I feel super confident af- about after that, like, the guys directly behind him, Alex Verdugo, Jared Walsh, Michael Brantley, Cattell Marte and Kyle Schwarber, if they were healthy, would definitely be ahead of him. So it's um, it's just a tough, like, outfield just hasn't been that great this season. It's I'll sell it, but not with a ton of confidence. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm buying that he's not a top 25 outfielder unless he. Yeah, sorry, dra- I, I buy it. Yeah, unless he not. drastically changes what his batted ball profile has been, and I'm waiting for it to happen. Just hit more line drives, even try and hit more ground balls. I, I just he's selling out too much for fly balls, especially this season. with only the three stolen bases. Yeah, you know? that that's another one too. I, and I think either one or two of them have been on a double steal where he was the trail runner. So he's Damn. just really not running the season. I moved him down to outfielder 30 on Wednesday night just behind Trey Mancini, who's coming around recently, though he's been cold uh, since yeah. the start of June. Tommy Pham, I, I moved Austin Meadows behind him. Jared Walsh, who I have concerns about, but he's yeah, just... Yeah, that's he's the been, thing. Is like Jared Walsh, I, I definitely have real concerns about, too. Tommy but, Pham, too, but not, like, I think that's the right range. Yeah, but Walsh, like, I keep saying Walsh is a sell-high candidate, and I'm going to continue to say that. You but, just got to trust the process, Frank. Yeah. No, he's been more consistent, though, all season long than Austin Meadows. So yeah. I, I'll I'll throw that in there as well. Uh, Chris Paddock had another not-so-great start. I mean, on the surface, I guess it looks all right. Five shutout against the Braves. Only one strikeout. He picked up a win. All right, whatever. 21% CSW. That's called strikes plus whiff percentage. And league average is 28%. Chris Paddock was 21% in this start. And he gave up 10 more hard-hit balls. It's just gross. So buy or sell, Chris, that Chris Paddock, his 81% roster rate should be cut in half. 
Um, I, I think that might be a little too drastic, but I, I'll admit I can't make a lot of strong arguments for why. It's mostly just a kind of vague notion that he once was a very good and very promising pitcher, and, well, maybe he can be that again one day. Um, like I said, it's not something I feel incredibly strongly about, so... Uh, I do think like he's droppable. I, I've come very close in a 12-team league, and given the fact that we have two IL spots and I have eight players on IL, I, I may have to drop him at this point. I only have him in 15-team Roto League, so I can't drop him there just because <laughs> the pitchers that I'm looking at picking up are Eric Fetty and, and, and guys like that, so yeah. that's not very exciting. Two names I'm going to ask you about in just a little bit that I'm pretty excited to add if they're available. Austin Gomber and your boy, Chris, Alex Cobb. Would you drop Chris Paddock for either, both, none? Man, Gomber was so good before, like his like, what, last five or six starts before the injury. He was, it was, it was lights out. He ten, was, wasn't walking anyone. 10 starts before the injury where he had a sub three ERA. And then yeah, and, he, returned, and he on, made, returned on Wednesday and gave us another quality start. Yeah, and this was a weird start because he gave up three home runs, but only three earned runs. Um, usually, if you give up three home runs at Coors Field, you're probably going to have a pretty ugly outing. But uh, he's been, you know, the one thing that he really was doing really well when he turned his season around was he stopped walking people. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Four walks over that final 10 starts with 53 strikeouts and 51 in the third. So. Oh, man, it feels really weird and bad and gross to say yes, but I I don't have any good reason to think Chris Paddock's going to make you regret dropping him at this point. So you would drop him for both, Gomber and Alex Cobb? <sighs> I think so. I think I'd be okay with that. I think so too, man. If you play in a 12-team league, specifically a points league, you just need you need something, and, and Chris yeah. Paddock is not really providing it right now. From one really weird case to another, Glaber Torres went one for forward his sixth home run on Wednesday. He now has homers in three of his last four games. Chris, buy or sell, something is happening here with Glaber Torres. For that, I would need to actually take a look at the underlying numbers and see if he was hitting the ball better because the issue for him, it, it hasn't been like, oh, he's just been unlucky. He's just been bad. All right. He's earned. Go ahead. Continue. What was it? Well, I was going to say yeah. in the month of July, he's got a 91.4 mile per hour average exit velocity. Small sample yeah. size. Yeah. But it's encouraging. That's, that's better. Yeah. So 91.4 mile per hour average exit velocity, 360 X Woba. It's his best of the the best month of the season by far. Yeah. There's, there's not nothing there. I guess if you were on the verge of dropping him, I think some of you probably already had, but if you were on the verge, the the last handful of games has been enough to at least stay your hand. But I, I'm still pretty skeptical that he's going to be a starting caliber fantasy option. Yeah, I said a month ago that I would have dropped him for Willie Adamas, and if you did that, you probably feel great about it at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I wouldn't regret that either way. But if you have Gleyber Torres in a deeper league and, and you've held on, maybe you just haven't had an option to drop him for someone good to this point. It's mildly encouraging the month of July for Gleyber Torres, so we'll continue to monitor that. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we have a ton of would-you-rather scenarios. We'll do it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. So let's talk about Willie Adamas, who we've talked a lot about, and rightfully so. He has a 957 OPS with the Brewers. He's 81% rostered, which still seems too low. I think even in shallower leagues, he should be rostered. Chris, would you rather Jorge Polanco, who had a sock and a shoe 
on Wednesday. Three for four, his 14th homer, his ninth stolen base, or Willie Adamas, rest of season. Yeah, that's the most stolen bases that Polanco's had in a season since 2017. I think I would still go with Willie Adamas. He's looked like a legitimate impact bat since getting to Milwaukee. Um, so I, I would continue to ride that. All right, let's move on to the, the starting pitchers. I already mentioned them. Austin Gomber or Alex Cobb. Gomber, six innings, three hits, three runs, three strikeouts. He was going up against the Seattle Mariners. That was in Coors Field. He's 65% rostered, and it looks like he's lined up for two starts next week at the Angels and at the Padres. And Alex Cobb just has those great underlying numbers, which you've highlighted basically all season long, Chris. He's 45% rostered. If you had to choose between the two, Gomber or Cobb, which way would you go? I think I would go with Gomber. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen him get more than three strikeouts in the first start back from the uh, IL, but you know, based on what he was doing before the injury, as we talked about earlier, 55 strikeouts, four walks in his final 10 starts. Um, I feel a little bit a little bit better about him than I do Cobb, even though I do like Cobb and I think he's underrated. Um, you know, they're they're both top 70-ish pitchers, I think. Those are two that are kind of creeping up and are pretty available, uh, especially Alex Cobb. He's only 45% roster, but I, I do lean with you. I would I would take Gomber over him, but I'm pretty interested in both. Uh, if you need an outfielder in a shallower league, this is a little triple threat match for you here, Chris. Max Kepler or Robbie Grossman or Ryan Mountcastle, who are all rostered in... Between 70 and 80% of CBS leagues, Robbie Grossman in the month of July, 277 batting average, 452 OBP, five homers, two steals. Ryan Mountcastle, uh, since the start of June, 277 batting average, 10 homers. Max Kepler, his last 15 games, he's batting 280 with six home runs. Kepler, Mountcastle, Grossman. That's a tough one. I, I think I would lean Kepler. You know, the 280 batting average over the last 15 games, I think that's the part that you can really question. I don't think he's going to be someone who hits for a good batting average, even though he doesn't strike out much and he does hit the ball hard, but he just, he's so, he hits the ball in the air a lot. He hits a lot of infield fly balls. And so it just, it's not really a profile that's super conducive to batting average and it kind of never has been, but I do think he'll be the best of this group moving forward. Robbie Grossman has just basically alternated bad months with really good months. So he's been very inconsistent, but I think as long as he's playing this well, if you're just talking about a points league or any type of OBP format, Grossman, I think probably leads this list for me. But just in general, if it's like Roto categories, I think Ryan Malcastle's actually the one. I mean, since the start of June, he's basically been the player we wanted him to be. 277, I mentioned 10 home runs. That's a 37 homer pace over 150 games, so... Providing the power, the strikeout rate is down. Uh, I think all these players are kind of interesting in their own right. But uh, for me, it would be Grossman and any kind of points or OBP. Ryan Mountcastle in any traditional batting average or, or categories type of league. If you need an outfielder in a little bit of a deeper league than that last question, Enrique Hernandez, Kike Hernandez, known by in some leagues, uh, some providers. He went two for four. He had his 14th home run of the season on Wednesday in July He's batting 263, six homers, more walks than strikeouts, hitting a ton of fly balls. He's 45% rostered, really good matchups next week. Seven games, five left-handed pitchers for uh, Kike Hernandez. And then Akil Badu, who I just continue to bring up. It feels like we talk about him every day, but he's doing something every day. So he went one for four with his eighth home run of the season on Wednesday in July, batting 254, three homers, four steals, 59% rostered. What do you think, Chris? I think this one's fairly straightforward. It's Kike Hernandez in a points league, and it's Akil Badu in a roto league because Badu's going to steal more bases, but he's not going to play every day. He's not going to have the counting stats that Hernandez does. So in a points league, Hernandez, the fact that he leads off, the fact that he plays every day, he does have that edge on Badu. Next up, if you need a corner infielder in probably a 12-team roto league or deeper, Hunter Dozier or Paven Smith. Hunter Dozier two for four with two RBI on Wednesday. And in the month of July, he's batting 346, only one homer, but five doubles. 
and a 926 OPS for Hunter Dozier. And then Paven Smith went two for three, hit his fourth home run of July. And he's got an 857 OPS for the month, hitting more fly balls finally. So that's nice to see. Both of these guys are rostered in less than 45% of CBS leagues. Hunter Dozier or Paven Smith? I think it's got to be Dozier. I, I don't really have much confidence in in Smith. You know, his underlying numbers are fine. His service level numbers are fine. But we've seen Dozier have stretches like this consistently in the past. So I, I'd rather see if this is for real from him. All right. If you need saves, Daniel Bard or Joaquin Soria. Daniel Bard picked up his 15th save of the season on Wednesday. And Joaquin Soria also got his sixth save. All of them are in July. Soria leads all relief pitchers in saves in the month of July, which is it's just hilarious. You got to laugh about it because like that crazy stretch that the Diamondbacks went on when they were just losing so much. So it's it's pretty interesting. Daniel Bard or Joaquin Soria? I think I would probably go with Bard. I think he's a better pitcher. Soria, like you can go through stretches even on a bad team where you get a bunch of saves just because if you're the only guy getting saves... It's not like you really have to worry about getting four saves in four days when you're the when you're the Diamondbacks. So he's probably going to get most of their saves, and he's a he's a decent pitcher. But I, I don't think Joaquin Soria is, um, you know, any kind of great pitcher. So I'll take the guy in the the more secure role. I guess I don't know if I would call the Rockies a better team, but certainly a more secure role. Yeah, I think they're probably a slightly better team. Daniel Bard is 50% rostered, and Soria is 26% rostered. So if you do play in a deeper categories league and you need saves, of course there's a chance that Soria's dealt at the trade deadline. They're not going to get much in return for him, but he's pitching well. So I guess keep that in mind also. I just realized we're about to talk about three Diamondbacks in a row, from Paven Smith to Joaquin Soria, and now Dalton Varsho, who I brought up to Scott yesterday. He wasn't really in on him, but... Back-to-back multi-hit games for Dalton Varsho, who we've kind of had some excitement about in the past. Would you rather have Varsho or Luis Torrens with the Seattle Mariners, who in 23 games since being recalled, this actually shocked me when I when I realized it. 280 batting average, nine homers, 90-mile-per-hour hmm. average exit velocity, getting a few starts at first base, so more consistent playing time maybe than some other catchers. He's a former prospect with the Padres. Obviously, was traded to the Mariners either last year or two years ago. I don't ex- I don't remember exactly. But uh, 2020. He was in the, um, the NOLA trade, right? Yes. That, yep, that sounds right. Uh, Terenz or Dalton Varsho in a two-catcher league? I think I would go with Terenz. He actually had decent uh, batted ball data last season, hit the ball pretty hard, um, didn't get good results from it. But I, I think there's probably more here, especially because I feel a little better about the playing time for uh, Luis Torrens than I do about Dalton Varsho. Varsho has been playing pretty consistently for them, but I will point out that Carson Kelly went through full pregame batting practice on Monday and is getting closer to a return. So once that happens, I'm sure the playing time will be cut for one Dalton Varsho. All right. Anything to see here? Pitcher edition. I've got five Pretty meh starting pitchers, but let's talk about him. Brad Keller, who you already brought up at the top. Uh, he was at the Brewers, six and two-thirds, three runs, six strikeouts. He has three straight quality starts. Eric Lauer was opposing him in that game, and he allowed two unearned runs over five innings with six strikeouts. His last four starts for Eric Lauer, he has allowed just two earned runs during that stretch. Eric Fetty up against the Marlins, six innings, one run, four strikeouts. Looks like he's in line for two starts next week against the Cubs and at the Pirates. Matt Manning made his return up against the Texas Rangers. Gave a quality start. Six innings, two runs, four strikeouts, 11 swinging strikes on 77 pitches. I will say confidently this was the best I've seen Matt Manning look to this point. Uh, And then Spencer Howard, who was at the Yankees. It was a bullpen game. They only let him go three innings. But if StatCast is correct... Spencer Howard's slider was up seven miles per hour from his season average, which is just a massive jump. So Keller, Lauer, Fetty, Matt Manning, Spencer Howard. Anything to see here, Chris? Uh, Like I said earlier, Brad Keller's been throwing his slider more over the last three starts. Um, I think it's been in like the 45% range over the course of the three starts rather than around 35%. Like it's been most of the season. So 
there's not necessarily nothing there, which is not necessarily the same thing as saying there's something there, but it's at least worth watching. I think 28% rostered is honestly too high. I'm not sure I quite understand that, but especially like he's got two starts next week, but it's versus the White Sox and at Toronto. So I'm not sure I'd want to start him in any categories leagues because he could destroy your ERA. But in a deeper points league, AL only, yeah, I, I think what he's shown over the last couple of starts should at least give you some reason to be optimistic. As for the rest of them, Manning, you know, you're always going to take note when a guy who's a, a top prospect puts up a, a decent start, but this was merely a decent start, not necessarily a, a very good one. And he still was very reliant on his fastball. Seven of his 11 swinging strikes came on that pitch. He threw it 57% of the time. So, you know, you're still waiting for the the secondary arsenal to, to come around. It's possible he figures that out, but um, I wouldn't be at, running out to add him right now either. Matt Manning will point out again, CSW percentage league average is 28%. In this start for Matt Manning, it was 31%. So the stuff definitely played up a little better. It helps that he was facing the Texas Rangers. It was the best that I've seen him pitch so far. He only allowed four hard hit balls. So you don't need to add him in any type of 12 team leagues, your standard size leagues. But if you held on to him in deeper leagues, this was an encouraging start for Matt Manning. And I will just point out for Eric Fetty, I don't think he's a good pitcher, but up against the Cubs and at the Pirates next week, they are 20, 23rd and 22nd in WOBA versus right-handed pitching, respectively. So, on paper, that should be good matchups if you play in a deeper league. Anything to see here? Hitter edition. Gregory Polanco went one for four with a home run on Tuesday, and then he went one for four with a steal on Wednesday. He now has 10 homers and 10 steals. I think he's batting right around 200, but a little bit of power and speed from Gregory Polanco. Rugnet Odor hit his 11th home run, and over his last 14 games, he's batting 333 with four home runs. And then I've got to mention him, the legend, Yankee legend, Greg Allen. He has a stolen base in three straight, so deepest AL-only category leagues. Uh, Chris, anything to see here? Polanco, Odor, Greg Allen. Yeah, actually, Odor, since about, it was like April 27th, I think is what I was looking at. He's actually on like a 30-homer pace, despite not playing every day. Um, I think he's been on like 130 start pace in that time, you know, with like a 780 OPS and a 240 batting average. So, you know, it's, it's at least looked like the decent Rugnet Odor seasons, which have been useful for fantasy. Um, again, not someone that I'm rushing out to add, but among this three, he's certainly the most interesting. Polanco has only started four games in the month of July. Um, he's appeared in eight. So, I'm not sure there's much of anything there, unfortunately. I would love for there to be something there with Gregory Polanco. I've always been a fan. I think there's a chance he could be dealt at the deadline too, but they still have some money on that contract. I think they would have to eat it, but yeah, I'm with you, man. Like He just hasn't been the same since that shoulder injury that he suffered, yep. but I would love to see something from Gregory Polanco. By the way, super weird splits for Rugnet Odor. He's got a 977 OPS versus lefties. 649 OPS against righties. That was entering uh, Wednesday before he hit the home run off of a righty. It was off of Hector Neris. Surprise, surprise. But very weird splits there for Rugnet Odor. Wednesday Dingers Part 1. Some notable home runs. Randy Rosarena went 3 for 5 with a double dong. He has 3 homers over his last 2 games since we called him out back on, I think it was... Tuesday's podcast. Uh, J.D. Martinez went two for four with his 20th homer. Vlad Jr. went one for two, two walks, 32nd home run of the season. George Springer, one for four with his seventh homer. Teoscar Hernandez, two for four with his 13th. And Fernando Tatis went two for th- four, two for three, rather, with his 29th home run of the season in game one of their doubleheader. Game two got suspended because of rain. Uh, Rosarena, J.D. Martinez, Vlad Jr., Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, and Tatis. Anything you want to add here, Chris? I've I've been hesitant to be too critical of a Rosarena, despite the fact that he has been disappointing so far this season, just because given how hot we saw him last season, it always seemed fair to assume he was going to be a relatively streaky hitter. And the issue for him all season really has just been hitting the ball on the ground. He's been hitting the ball relatively well all season. And so, you know, if he is elevating the ball more, 
down the stretch, I think that could lead to some very, very good results. And obviously we know he can be a power speed guy as well. So as disappointing as the season has been so far, if you bought into Randy or Rosarena coming in, I think he can make up for it in the next two months. As great as he's been the past two games, I feel like I just have to point out he's going up against the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff. So sure. That's definitely helped him. And I pointed this out the other day. He is crushing fastballs this year has been dreadful against everything yep. else, breaking off speed pitches. So it seems like that is a clear area of concern that uh, a Rosarena needs to work on for the future. But regardless, he's still giving you a good amount of power and speed this season for those in category leagues. Wednesday Dingers Part 2. Mitch Hanniger hit his 23rd home run of the season. He is batting 304 with five home runs in July. Jose Altuve went uh, hit his 23rd home run. He has three home runs in his last two games. Kyle Tucker hit his 17th homer. He has a home run in back-to-back games. Mike Yastrzemski has been awesome, basically since mid-June. He hit his 16th home run of the season. Chris Taylor hit his 14th. And Cesar Hernandez went two for three with his 16th home run of the season. He is 57% rostered. Not very exciting, but this is far and away the most power we've ever seen from Cesar Hernandez. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, I think, has he hit 20 home runs in a season before? I, I feel like his career high might be like 23. Really? Um, I may be wrong there, but that that's what it feels like in my heart. Uh, um, 15 is his previous 15, career so high. So he already has a career high. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, that comes with a 704 OPS. <laughs> He has sacrificed some uh, contact ability to tap into this newfound power. I think he's probably going to hit better than 223 moving forward. But I think it's just kind of he's always like the 16th best second baseman in fantasy, I feel like, Um, which is fine. It's it's a decent guy to have if you need an injury replacement, but he's not necessarily someone you're ever going to be excited to have around either. How about this? On the season, he's averaging 2.6 fantasy points per game. That is the same amount as DJ LeMahieu. That just sounds weird. That's uh, that is weird. <laughs> it definitely is. But hey, baseball. Some leftovers from Wednesday. Trey Mancini has eight hits over his last five games. He's got an 8.56 OPS in July. So nice little bounce back here after a very down June for Trey Mancini. Jeff McNeil's last 15 games. He's batting 3.27. Only one homer, one steal. 819 OPS. You like to see that. Michael Conforto is now 0 for 9 since his two homer game. So if you want to buy, now is the time after a couple of down games for Michael Conforto. Whit Merrifield went 2 for 5 with his lead league leading 25th stolen base of the season. Fernando Tatis is second with 22. Trey Turner is third with 21. Speaking of steals, Tim Anderson went 2 for 3 with two steals. His massive July continues. The Babbitt Bandits were back. Adam Frazier went two for five, and Brian Reynolds went three for four. Uh, a couple pitching performances to mention. Robbie Ray, not very good. Five innings, four runs, four strikeouts. It was his first start with more than three runs allowed since May 27th. So he was due for a subpar performance. Uh, Michael Pineda up against the White Sox. Five innings, one run, only three strikeouts. His previous four starts, he had an 8.10 ERA. Still 66% rostered. Do we have to hold? It's too high. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't have to hold Pineda anywhere, do we? Yeah, he, he's a jag. A jag. You know who is not a jag? Adam Wainwright <laughs> just keeps plugging away. Seven innings, one run, five strikeouts. The ERA is down to 3.56. The whip is at 1.13 on the season for Adam Wainwright. Even at his advanced age. Getting it done. The call to the pen. Some bullpen updates. Start with the Orioles, who... They just cannot figure it out, man. I, I get they don't have the personnel to figure it out, but sheesh. Cole Sulcer was used in the sixth. Paul Fry was used in the eighth. They tried Tanner Scott for the save. He gave up three hits, two runs. He wound up taking the loss there. For the Royals, Scott Barlow got his fifth save of the season. Greg Holland was used in three of their last four games. I do not feel confident saying who will get their next save, but it's probably one of Barlow or Greg Holland. For the Nationals... Sure. Brad Hand was used for two innings. He gave up a run in a tie game. He took the loss. Aroldis Chapman used in the ninth inning in a tie game. He walked one, struck out one. Overall, had a clean inning. He kept looking down at his fingernail on his middle finger, so I don't know if that's going to lead to anything, but I think at this point, Chad Green 
is the handcuff. Since Zach Britton has returned, he's looked awful, and he was bad again on Wednesday. So I think it's Chad Green. For the Marlins... Yeah, but I, I think the fact that Chapman's settled down a little bit does bode well for his chances moving forward. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's just, if anything comes out of this fingernail situation since he kept looking at it, but... Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. No, he's looked... He's looked pretty good since uh, the start of the second half, so it's nice to see there from Aroldis Chapman. For the Marlins, Yimi Garcia bounced back with his 14th save. The Padres, Mark Melanson, got his 28th. For the Red Sox, Matt Barnes got his 20th. For Cleveland, James Karinczak got his 11th save. Emmanuel Class A was used in the 8th inning. For the Tigers, Gregory Soto got his 10th save. Jose Cisnero was used in the 8th inning. And I just saw the Giants and Dodgers game went final. And one day after blowing the game and giving up a three-run homer, Tyler Rogers bounces back with his 11th save of the season. Jake McGee was not using this one. I believe he was unavailable because he's been used a lot recently. I, I'm kind of stunned they went back to him because he's just been awful against the Dodgers specifically. Um, I think it's since the start of last season. It's something like a run. It might be more than a run per inning he's pitched against them or something like that. It's Gabe Kapler, man. <laughs> Gabe Kapler. Look, Jake McGee has been great. I, I don't know. Look, there's probably some kind of underlying numbers somewhere that they're leaning on here to make these decisions, but Jake McGee had been used two days in a row, so I guess they gave him the night off on Wednesday. Tyler Rogers got his 11th save. And if you just need a reliever for ratios and strikeouts, I've mentioned the name before, but Colin McHugh went two shutout innings with three strikeouts. He picked up the win on Wednesday. He's got a 1.51 ERA. 0.91 whip, 59 strikeouts in 41 and two-thirds innings pitched. Again, that is his, Colin McHugh. I mean, his stack cast page is just all like 94th percentile or better, except for fastball velocity where he's fourth percentile. But he's one of those guys who's made the switch to just throwing his secondary pitches as his primary pitches. His slider, he throws 51% of the time. His cutter's 32% of the time, so... It's been a, been a fun transformation for Colin McHugh. All right, to stream or not to stream, we'll start with Thursday. Mike Fultonevich at the Tigers, Jordan Montgomery at the Red Sox, Tanner Houck versus the Yankees, Adbert Alzali at the Cardinals, Josh Fleming at Cleve- Cleveland, and Cal Quantrill versus the Rays. Gross. <laughs> That's really gross. I don't really want to go with any of these guys. It's not good. Uh, but... I would feel so much better about Tanner Houck if he hadn't had a 514 ERA at AAA. Um, Tanner Houck might be the best of this bunch. Maybe Adbert Alzale, maybe Josh Fleming, but it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty stinky group. Yeah, Jordan Montgomery is not exciting. He doesn't destroy you usually, but it's just such a tough matchup. Yeah, he gave a quality start against the Red Sox last week when he pitched against mm-hmm. them. I think it was six innings, three runs. So. It's about as quality of a start as you could possibly get, but don't really love anybody else on that list. For Friday, we have Zach Davies versus the Diamondbacks, David Price at home versus the Rockies, Johnny Cueto versus the Pirates, Chad Cool at the Giants, Willie Peralta at the Royals, and Alex Cobb at the Twins. Well, Cobb, obviously. Uh, I think David Price is worth using, and um, I guess Willie Peralta... I know he's been good. I don't trust it, but uh, he would definitely be third. Revenge game, Willie Peralta. I think he's still wearing yeah. a Royals hat on his, on his CBS picture. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's his underlying numbers are very bad. He gets a lot of ground balls, Willie Peralta, but I don't mind it at the Kansas City Royals. I keep wanting to say Chiefs, man. We're getting we're getting close we're to getting, football yeah, season. So we're getting close. You can't say that on this podcast, though. That's true. It, yeah. It's what football? I don't, I don't even know what that is. Uh, let's wrap up with a few questions here. Some Apple podcast review, and we have one email as well. Uh, for everyone who left a question, a five-star rating and review, we do appreciate you. However, I just want to point out, somebody named Anarchist Cat, sounds like one of Chris's cats, Anarchist Cat recently left a one-star review because of ads on the CBS site. Yeah, I mean, you can email somebody, I, I guess, but that has nothing to do with the podcast. <laughs> Why would you leave us a one-star review? We didn't, we didn't do anything. So if you can, I don't know, redact that one-star, that, that would be great. This one's from AJDLFC. 
off to a 14-0 start in my 10-team head-to-head points league. Three IL spots per team. Currently stashing Shane Bieber, Chris Sale, Anthony Rendon, Eloy Jimenez, Jose Urquidy, and Francisco Lindor. Someone else just dropped Ian Anderson. My question question is, should I be compiling the best talent regardless of injuries at this point due to playoffs and that the first seed is almost guaranteed? Interesting. I think that's an interesting strategy, yeah. It depends on, you know, as always, it depends on the guys you're dropping. You know, don't don't focus just on stashing injured guys and drop talented guys in order to facilitate that strategy. So, you know, if you're star if you had Chris Paddock and you wanted to drop him for Ian Anderson, I'd be totally fine with that because Ian Anderson, I do have more faith in him being a useful fantasy option. But the other thing to keep in mind is that not all of these guys, Beaver, Sale, Rendon, Eloy, or Keedy and Lindor, not all of these guys are going to be back necessarily in time for the playoffs. Some of them might have a, a setback. Some of them just may not be on the right timetable as is. And so you run the risk of creating this potential juggernaut for the playoffs that can't actually withstand injuries when they come uh, in the playoffs because you don't have useful players on your bench. It being a 10-team head-to-head points league, I do think your strategy should always be to maximize upside on your bench. But, you know, just careful that you're going too far. And right now you already have three IL players who aren't in an IL spot. So it's, you know, could be pushing things a little too far there. Yes. I will just point out, specifically, if you're just making a decision here with the players you already have, I would be okay dropping Jose Urquidy for Ian yes. Anderson. I think yes, definitely. Anderson has more upside there. This one's from Annapolis Adam. 10-team head-to-head points. I was offered Salvador Perez and Zach Wheeler for my Trey Turner and Max Stassi. It's a keeper league with five keepers, but I also have Wander Franco. Uh, the staff is currently a lot of names here. Garrett Cole, Yu Darvish, Trevor Bauer. Don't know what's going on. Aaron Savale, John Means, Sandy Alcantara, Charlie Morton, Shane McClanahan, Yusei Kikuchi, and a few others. I'm torn as to whether or not I have enough high-end pitching in a shallow points league. It's only 10-team head-to-head points. Can I afford to go from Trey Turner to Wander Franco at shortstop? No. One way, one thing to think about it is you're getting two absolute must-start players in Salvador Perez and Zach Wheeler for one in Trey Turner. I think Max Stassi in a 10-team head-to-head points league is, is a fringe guy at best. Um and so I guess you're sitting McClan. So it's more like Perez, Wheeler, and Franco for Turner and McClanahan, something like that. Or Turner, Stassi, and McClanahan, I guess, would be the way to think about it. I don't know if I would do that, but I don't think it's out of the question. But, man, Franco's been bad, and there hasn't been... There isn't much reason to be optimistic right now beyond the fact that he's uh, Wander Franco. So I think I would pass, but I I can see why you would want to do it. I would have to imagine in a 10-team points league, there's a better shortstop available than Wander Franco. If if you can actually get someone that's more useful than him, then it's not a a bad trick. Yeah, like if Willie Adamas is available, and you can get Willie Adamas and go from... Trey Turner, Shane McClanahan, Max Stassi to Salvador Perez, Zach Wheeler, and Willie Adamas. I think you probably would want to do that. This email is from Tony. I play in a 12-team categories league with three outfielders, and I'm wondering what are your thoughts on Alex Verdugo? I've recently had him on my bench more often than not, but have been hesitant to flat-out drop him. Would you drop him for someone like Akil Badu or Robbie Grossman? That's interesting. Um, so these numbers are from the other day. I haven't updated them yet, but... It's not like Verdugo has done anything. Uh, on the season, he's batting 279 homers, five steals, 57 runs scored. The runs are great. He is hitting the ball much harder than usual, Alex Verdugo. But since May 1st, he's batting just 259 with a 712 OPS. That's, that's, that's like the past two and a half months. It's a pretty long time. So, yeah. What do you think, Chris? He's such he's a tough player because. He needs to be really, really good at his best skill, which is batting average. You know, because he doesn't, he's not going to steal many bases. He's not going to hit for much power. So if he's like a 285, 290 hitter, then I think it's a little easier to view him as a must start guy. 
And his XBA is 284, and it was 286 in 2019. So I feel pretty confident that he's going to be more like a 285, 290 hitter moving forward than he has been so far this season. But it's certainly been frustrating, and it does highlight how thin the margin for error for a guy like uh, Alex Verdugo, but not just him. Jeff McNeil, who we've also seen this season, if the batting average isn't there, doesn't really have a lot of value. And, you know, Michael Brantley, who has been really really consistent over the years but you know if that average does ever slip you know his his fantasy appeal is going to dry up very quickly all right we're gonna wrap up for chris i am frank thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today we'll be back again tomorrow bye-bye if you've ever been in the market for a new home you know home shopping can be a lot There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.